Well, good morning and welcome to the final installment in our series, A Humbled Hero, where we're taking a look at the life of Elijah, who's kind of the Bible's version of Chuck Norris, this superhero, stronger than life, bigger than life, mythical figure who does all these incredible feats. Elijah is the guy who commands the rain to stop coming from the heavens and by his mouth, a, a drought, which turns into a famine, which leads to all kinds of problems. Elijah is the guy who went out into the middle of the wilderness at God's word, and he was fed not from a store, from a restaurant, or even from farming, but a raven would bring him his food every single day, and he would drink from a river. Last week, we saw Elijah and his most heroic feat, okay, where he challenged the prophets of Baal, who are the false prophets, the false god, and he challenged them to a good old-fashioned duel. And there was 850 of them and only one of Elijah. And he challenged them to go on top of the mountain. And 851 people went up the mountain, but only one of them walked back down. And that's Elijah, because he brought fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice. And then he executed all the bad guy prophets. And then he walked down the mountain. Actually, you know what? I actually don't think he walked down the mountain. I think he kind of strutted down the mountain and I'm picturing the scene, you know, with like smoke in the background and kind of like the, the flames, you know, and the music and kind of a slow motion as Elijah walks down the mountain like a true hero. Everything we've seen from Elijah so far has been superhuman, this mythical figure, this larger than life guy. But there's a certain verse that I've been reminding you of every single week. And that is James chapter five, verse 17, which says this, it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Tonight, we're going to see that side, or I should say today, we're going to see that side of Elijah. What we're going to see is Elijah in weakness, in discouragement. We're going to see him insecure. We're going to see him afraid. We're going to see him actually depressed to the point of saying, take my life from me. In other words, what we're going to see is Elijah, the human being. We're going to see his human side. And I'll be honest, for me personally, it's this Elijah, it's this human, it's this weakness that actually makes him a true superhero in my eyes. It's not the strength and it's not the power and it's not all that stuff. It's what we see today that makes Elijah a true hero for all of us. Why is that? Well, if you know anyone, okay, we can all probably think of someone in our life, either current or maybe in the past. If you know anyone or met anyone or anyone in your family or whatever it may be, who's never weak, who's always strong, who never makes a mistake, who never gets down, who never gets discouraged, who never needs help, they're always on top of the world, they're always singing on their way to work, they're always up. It's kind of hard to relate to that kind of a person because they're not real. Like for example, we all have someone, a friend, or like I said, maybe a relative who's got the perfect marriage and the perfect house and they got the great job. Okay. And their kids, you know, get all A's and their kids, you know, score the winning goal in soccer and their kids are those kids who sit in church and just pray in church. Okay. And, and if we're honest, we kind of hate their guts. You know, not necessarily that we hate them, but it, it, we don't, it's hard to relate to someone who we see as perfect with no weaknesses. And even if we don't hate them, we certainly don't relate to them. It's kind of like, 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 like watching people from the, the 80s sitcoms. Okay. They weren't real, like growing pains or, or family matters, any of those shows. It's fun to watch, 
but those aren't real people that we can really relate to. Or another example, let's say you're in school, okay, you remember back to your days in school, we all knew that one guy, okay, it was always that one guy who never studied, never did his homework, okay, never went to class, and always got A's. And you would work, and you would study, and you would library, and you would read, he'd just sitting there be playing video games, and you would think to yourself, as he's playing video games and getting A's, what a jerk, what a jerk. At least have the decency to pretend to study. Okay, while you see the rest of us killing ourselves here, at least pretend for our sake that you're putting in some effort. It's been said that we impress with our strengths, but we relate with our weaknesses. Okay, say that again. We impress, we impress other people with our strengths, but we relate or we connect through our weaknesses. That's me with Elijah. It's not Elijah's strengths that make him great in my eyes, that make him a once-in-a-lifetime guy. It's actually his weaknesses. It's the fact that he's not a robot, that he's not a superhuman, <clears throat> that he's not some alien from the future or from a far, far, far away galaxy. If that was the case, then you know it wouldn't be very inspirational because I know I'm none of those things. But it's exactly that he is a man with a nature like mine, yet somehow God worked mightily through this man. That's what inspires me. Said another way, <clears throat> because I know Elijah's been to the places I've been, I know I can reach to the places that he's reached. Because Elijah, because I know Elijah's been to the places I've been, I know I can reach to the places he's reached. And that's why it's not just Elijah. Okay, there's many characters in the scriptures, many characters that we see them in weakness, and the Bible doesn't hide, you know, their frailties and their mistakes from us. Okay, unlike the action movies, which only show the heroes as perfect, the Bible doesn't do that. For example, there's Moses in the book of Numbers. Moses, one time, Moses split the Red Sea, brought the Ten Commandments. Moses, one time, was so frustrated with the people that God told him to lead. He was so frustrated. He said, I can't take it anymore. This is too much for me. These people are too much of a burden. God, if this is your will, please just kill me now. That's what Moses said. Okay, it's in Numbers chapter 11. He said, if it's your will for me to lead these people, kill me here and now. Another one, Jonah, great prophet, okay, wrote a book in the Bible. How many people wrote, can say they wrote a book in the Bible? Jonah, one time was so frustrated with God. Okay, God called him to go preach to the people in Nineveh and Jonah didn't want to because he knew that I'm gonna go preach to them that God's gonna destroy them and God's gonna do the opposite and have mercy on them and that's exactly what happened. Jonah gets so frustrated. Okay, so frustrated that God saved the people. Think about that. This is a prophet of God. So a preacher of God was so frustrated that God had grace and compassion and mercy because it made him look bad. Like he said, you're going to get destroyed. So God, he was so frustrated with God that you know what Jonah said? He said, it is better for me to die than to live. Okay, after God saved all those people through Jonah's preaching, he said, it's better for me to die than to live. Even St. Paul the great St. Paul, the strong St. Paul, the one who endured more tortures than anyone else, had moments where he was weak or he needed to pick me up and he needed someone to help him out. Look what it says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. He says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Wow. You never thought you'd hear St. Paul say that, huh? St. Paul, the guy who was always preaching, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. St. Paul here says we were down. 
We were in a bad place. We despaired even of life. We said, what's the point? It happens to everyone. That's part of being what a part of what being a human me human being means. It means that we're not superhuman. We're not robots. We're not always up. Elijah, just like Moses, just like St. Paul, just like Jonah, just like all of us, had a nature like all of us. And that didn't mean that he was always up. It means that he had his highs and his lows, his ups and his downs, his good days and his bad days. And what Elijah teaches us to do, and we're going to see this today, is how to fight through those lows. How to, how to not just endure them, but to get through them and fight through to get back to where we were before. And that's why this message is so fitting for us today, okay? Because today we look at the world outside, all right? And it doesn't take much to look at the world outside and get down and say things are bad and wonder where we go from here and to get discouraged. That's all of us today. But what we're going to see in Elijah is that that just means that you're, Elijah was a man with a nature like us and Elijah got himself down. So it doesn't mean that you're any less than him. We're going to see how he fought his way through it hopefully learn some lessons for us as well. Okay? All right, so let's pick up our story of Elijah. We finished last week after Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18. Elijah just did this great miracle, brought fire from heaven, executed all the bad guy prophets. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat, and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. The expression, put his face between his knees, means like he bent down to pray. So a lot, there had been a drought and a famine for three and a half years. Elijah does this great miracle on top of the mountain. Then he executes all the bad guy prophets. What happens next? Elijah tells the king. And again, Elijah's commanding the king. Okay, who's the boss in this room? Elijah's telling him, Ahab, it's going to rain now. So I want you to go eat and drink and I'm going to go pray. Love the contrast, okay? The one who's supposed to be the man, the, the, the servant of God who's supposed to be the king, okay? Basically, Elijah tells him, you go have a snack, okay? Go get your fun fruits. Go have a little juice box because it's going to be raining soon, okay? So you go do that. And what the true man of God does is he goes up to the mountain to pray. Verse 45. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah. Watch this. And he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. <laughs> I love this picture. Okay, imagine this picture. Elijah tells him, go have a snack. And then, okay, it's about to start raining. They see the dark cloud. So Ahab gets in his chariot with his horses. And he starts back down the mountain on the way, okay, to back to home. Elijah, <laughs> it says he girded up his loins, means he grabbed his robe, okay, and he held it up. That's what they do when, they, when you need to run, okay? You couldn't run with the robe on, so he would grab it, girded his loins. And it says he ran ahead of Ahab to Jezreel. I don't know about you, okay? I'm picturing this. I'm picturing this as like a cross between Terminator Okay, if you remember the Terminator movies where, you know, he would just kind of walk like this and he was, you know, and he would just kind of gain ground. I'm picturing between a cross between Terminator and Roadrunner. Okay, kind of a mix between those two. Okay, like Roadrunner, you know, passing Wiley e. Coyote as he's in a train or something like that. You know, the beep beep or whatever it is. That's what I'm picturing right here. Maybe a little forced Gump, you know, run, forced run. I don't know what it looked like, but you can only imagine, okay, how in the world, 
Like, what is Ahab thinking? I'm in my chariot. I'm with my horses. We're going 100 miles an hour. And then here comes, like I said, here comes Elijah. Boom, boom, boom. And he just sprints past me. And I'm thinking to myself, if I'm Ahab, what in the world did I get myself into? Who is this man? Ahab surely was thinking, I'm in trouble. And actually, for Ahab, the trouble was just beginning. It's about to get much worse. Ahab, for him, the trouble wasn't just who had left him or who he had just left, which is Elijah. The problem for Ahab was who he was returning home to. And that's his wife, Jezebel. We talked about her briefly a couple weeks ago. But Jezebel was his not-so-lovely wife. Okay, Jezebel was a very strong character. She was wicked. She was mean. She was kind of a bully. She wore the pants in the family. Like Ahab was kind of like a more of a passive, okay, in the relationship. And she was definitely the boss of the family. And Ahab returns now home to his wife Jezebel. Chapter 19, verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also, how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Picture the scene. Here's Ahab, kind of the weak guy, then the strong Jezebel. Ahab returns home, and he has to explain to Jezebel what just happened. Remember, the 850 prophets were Jezebel's. Okay, she's the one who brought the Baal worship. So these are her guys. And Ahab has to explain what happened on top of that mount, 850 verses 1. And I can just picture him, you know, you know what, what happened was, okay, kind of a thing. And I picture it kind of this way. I picture Jezebel, you know, here's the door open or maybe the garage opens or the whatever it may be. Hey, sweetie, how was your day? How'd it go with Elijah? Did you kill him? Oh, and did you pick up the milk on the way home like I asked you to? And I picture Ahab going, well, um, hmm, see, well, what um, the, th- the thing is, um, you know, with Elijah, uh, he's not dead. He's alive. Um, and, and the 850 prophets, you know, they're not alive. They're kind of dead. And then, you know, with all the killing and all that happened today, I think I forgot to get the milk as well. And then he kind of held his breath, you know, to see what would happen. And Jezebel, we can only imagine, was livid. Livid. Again, these were her prophets. And she sent out Ahab to do, she gave him 850 guys to fight one guy. And he messed it up. It's not going to be good. What happens next? Verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Basically what she says is she threatens Elijah. She says, All of my prophets are dead. That was a report. And she sends a message to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and even more so, like may even worse stuff happen to me if I don't make you like one of them, meaning... If I don't kill you and have you executed by tomorrow. Now, Jezebel, she's tough. Okay, she's mean. She's wicked. But come on. She's no match for Elijah. Like, come on. Like, Elijah (laughs) brings fire from heaven. Elijah just took down 850 other guys. Like, Elijah doesn't care about any of this stuff. Elijah... (laughs) This is going to be a breeze for him. Like, she's no match for him. Elijah, the greatest challenge would be like, okay, let's figure out how we're going to take her down. Should we go with like an earthquake? Or, you know, should we do the fire thing again? Or maybe like the bowels. Let's do that where she, the bowels come out of her or something like that when she goes to the bathroom. Like, so for Elijah, it's just a matter of like how to take her out. 
Okay, but it's not really going to be a challenge because, like I said, the guy commands fire from heaven. The guy tells it to rain or not rain. It's going to be easy for him, right? Look at verse 3. And when he saw that, this is Elijah, when he saw that, he arose, listen carefully, and ran for his life. He arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. I beg your pardon? (laughs) What was that? Elijah, 850 men. You were not scared. You brought fire from heaven. 850 men. But one woman? (laughs) Okay, one woman? 850 men? One woman? It says Elijah ran for his life. And it says he went to a city called Beersheba. Beersheba was the southernmost city Okay, in the nation means he went all the way to the border. He went as far as he could go without crossing the border. And it didn't even just stop right there. Look at the next verse, verse four. But once he got to Beersheba, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. So he didn't just go to the furthest city. He went to the furthest city with his servant. Then he left his stuff where the road ended. And then he went on foot a day's journey means he walked and walked and walked or probably ran and ran and ran for an entire day as far as he could go into the wilderness till he just collapsed from exhaustion. He got as far away as he could possibly go until he could go no more. And it actually gets worse. Rest of verse four. And he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. (laughs) What happened? Elijah, what happened? Where'd this come from? Where's our hero? Where's our man who brings fire from heaven? Where, where, where's the guy who stands in front of God? Like, where, what happened? Well, that's our topic for today. And like I said in the beginning, we're not judging Elijah, okay? It is very easy to sit on our couches when someone is going through a hard time and say, you know, he should pray. Yeah, it's a mistake. He didn't pray. He should trust. He should listen to sermons. Like, it's very easy to sit there and criticize when we're sitting on our comfortable couches. But we got to realize that humanity, our human nature, is weak, okay? By nature, our nature is weak, okay? That's kind of the default setting that all of us are weak and all of us are frail and all of us go through moments where we get down on ourselves. If you don't think so, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. It says, therefore, let him who thinks... Let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. Let him who thinks he stand, meaning that's all of us. None of us are exempt. We may think that, you know, we're strong and we're standing right now, but any of us left to ourselves, we're cowards. We're all cowards, only by the grace of God, only by the fact that God makes his sun rise on all of us and makes his grace shine on all of us, that we have any virtues in life. I remember one time I was reading a, a, a meditation. Um, I don't remember who was, who was the writer, but he's basically talking about how Cain and Abel, okay? And you know, in the book of Genesis, it talks about Cain and Abel, they were brothers, okay, the sons of Adam and Eve, and Cain killed his brother Abel, all right? Cain killed Abel. But the book was saying, who's the murderer? Cain or Abel? Who's the murderer? Not who killed who, but who's the murderer? Cain or Abel? Most of us would say Cain is the murderer. The book said no. Both are murderers. The only difference between Cain and Abel 
was one had a little more grace of God than the other. One had a little more self-control. One, you know, put a, a boundary around himself or one, you know, whatever it may be. But all of us at our core, all of us are murderers. All of us had the capability to murder. All of us are adulterers. All of us are liars. All of us are thieves. There's none of those things that is beyond us. None of us is so strong that we'd say, <clears throat> I would never do that. Or that would never happen to me. No, no, no. All of us are weak. And it only takes God to remove his grace for one second, for one second, for our true nature, our true colors to come out. And that's what happened here with Elijah. St. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter three, verse 23. <clears throat> he says, for all have sinned, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. There is none pure from blemish, even though his life on earth is a single day. That's one of the things we say in the liturgical prayers. All right. Jesus said when they found the woman in adultery, let him who was without sin cast the first stone. All of us have made mistakes. All of us are weak at times. <clears throat> in our human view, we view saints and sinners. Okay. People who are very spiritual, people who are middle spiritual, like we give rankings. But you know, in God's eyes, the difference between the greatest and the worst, minuscule, in God's eyes. Like the difference, imagine God is infinity. Okay, and then anything on this earth is a number, is a limited number, but God is infinity. <clears throat> difference between infinity and five versus infinity and 10 or 20 or 30 or 60 or 6 million. The difference between infinity and 6 million is infinity. <clears throat> and that's the way God looks at us. All of us are weak. All of us are human in our nature and all of us, none of us are beyond any weakness. I remember I learned this lesson one time. God gave me like a visual of it. Okay. If you, I was, in, I was going in an airplane, right? And I had a window seat and, and if you were down here on the ground, right, you see different buildings or you see tall buildings and little buildings. So you say, Oh, that's a very tall building. There's a little tall and tiny little house. And you see big differences, but let's say you go up in an airplane, 10,000 feet, 20,000 feet, 30,000 feet, 50,000 feet, 60,000 feet. And you look down the difference between the tallest building and the smallest one is the difference between this and this. Okay, there you see this and this. Do you see the difference? It's between let me go, this and this. That's the difference. And that's the same thing in God's eyes. The greatest of us, the worst of us. All of us are human. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us <clears throat> can say they were any stronger by our nature. And that's Elijah. Like I said, Elijah wasn't anything special. What Elijah was, was a normal person, an ordinary person like me and you, who had a very special connection to God. And it was that special connection to God that allowed him to do miraculous things. And what we see here is when that connection to God got interrupted, when it got broken for whatever reason, we'll see the reason in a minute here, okay? We'll talk about four reasons why. When, when the connection to God got broken, when the plug got pulled out, we see who he really is on the inside, just like it would be the same who all of us are if we disconnected from the grace of God as well. So <clears throat> with that, let's look at what factors contributed to Elijah's fall, okay? And we're gonna look at four factors that led Elijah to be in this situation. Again, we're not judging as much as we're learning from his mistakes. And more importantly, I'll bet that as we go through these four, that if you look at the times of weakness in your life, where you were discouraged, where you were down, where you were feeling like I can't take anymore enough, I bet you, you will see a lot of similarities to what happened with Elijah as well. And I think that's why the scripture gives it to us to encourage us and to show us that because we've seen where Elijah's been and we've been to the same places, we know we can reach to where it is that he reached because he was a man with a nature like ours. Okay. 
So four factors that contributed to the weakness of Elijah. Factor number one, he was alone. He was alone. And I'll be honest with you. If I was preparing this message a year ago, I might've put this one further down on the list. I might not have even put this one on there. Okay, because I'm kind of an introvert and I kind of see there's a lot of value to being alone and spending time. We talked about the hidden life with God. But given what we're seeing this year, okay, for those who are are watching this down the road, we're in 2020, aka the year of quarantine and coronavirus, where some people haven't been out their house. Some people haven't seen daylight, okay, for months right now. I'll be honest with you. I think this factor Okay, this idea of isolation and alone is causing a lot more problems than we are willing to realize and admit. Because whatever trial you're in, listen carefully, whatever trial you're in, whatever hardship you're going through, whatever sufferings in your life, isolation magnifies it. Whatever hardship you're going through, going through it alone only makes it worse. So if this is what you're going through, if you are isolated, then it's not a this, it's a this. And by the same token, if you can find a way to get in community and in fellowship and invest in others and have others to carry your load, then it goes from here to here. Think about it as a heavy, as a heavy rock, okay? If I have to carry that by myself or two people help me carry it or three people or four people, the burden gets less the more people are carrying it. And what we're seeing today in the world today, so many people, just like we saw with Elijah, is that when he isolated himself, when he pulled away from people, remember it said, that he went to the far city and he left his servant there. So even his servant, he was all by himself. That is how the devil defeats us. The devil's goal is isolation. It's divide and conquer. It's get us alone because when we're alone, he can play tricks with our mind. He can get us to believe things and get us to think things that simply aren't true. And that was Elijah. Elijah, the guy who brought fire, fire from heaven. The guy who brought fire from heaven, who took down 850 men, got scared and felt all alone because he got a text message from a lady? Like, come on, Elijah. Where would this come from? But that's what isolation does. Makes you believe weird things and think crazy things. Solomon the Wise says it this way in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. He says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. So if you're going through a tough time these days, if you're struggling, if you're feeling discouraged, depressed, whatever it may be, maybe this is your warning message. Maybe this is the sign that, you know what, it's time to get out of myself. It's time to reopen again to the world. And of course, we want to be safe as we do so. But maybe it's time to stop isolating. Maybe it's time to ask for help. Maybe it's time to pick up a phone or a text or whatever it may be and reach out and say, hey, you got a few minutes? Want to get together in a safe way or whatever it may be? Maybe it's time to stop the isolation because the isolation may be impacting you more than you realize. Maybe your situation, like Elijah's, isn't as bad as it seems. But the problem is because you're isolated and you're all by yourself, you got no one to speak truth to you and no one to make you snap out of it like Elijah. I always say it this way. I would rather someone be struggling and connected versus someone who is okay, is fine, no problems, but disconnected. 
I'm much more comfortable if I know that you, members of the church or, or anyone out there, friends, family, whatever, I'm much more comfortable knowing that you may be struggling, but at least you're connected versus someone who may be, hey, everything is fine. Everything's fine, Father, anything, no problem right here, but they're disconnected. I'm much more concerned about the second one. You know why? Because the storm is inevitable and you may not be facing a storm right now, but it is inevitable. Sickness, struggling, trials, tribulations, death, whatever it may be, it is inevitable. So I would much rather be struggling and connected versus okay and disconnected. Elijah, first thing was he was alone. Second factor that led to Elijah's weakness. Number two, he felt sorry for himself. He felt sorry for himself. He had a woe is me moment. I am no better than my father's. I can't take this anymore. It's too much for me. God, boo hoo, cry me a river. Elijah felt sorry for himself. And again, just like isolation is always from the devil, never from God. Self-pity is also from the devil, never from God. The scriptures talk about the devil and it gives him the name, the accuser of the brethren. You know what the accuser means? It means he's the guy who's saying, you're bad and you made a mistake. Oh, your life stinks. Oh my goodness. And that, and he's the one who's always accusing, always accusing, always making us feel sorry for ourselves, making us feel guilty, making us feel shame. You know what it says about Christ? It says Jesus is the advocate for all of us. He is our advocate in the heavens. Advocate means he's the one who's saying, no, 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 it's not his fault. No, 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 it's okay. No, no, he was just a bad day. No, 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 he's just sick. No, 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 it's just a moment of weakness. He's advocating for us. So my question to you is which one of those is running through your mind when you're in that hard time? If you allow the accusations, the feeling sorry for yourself, the self-pity, you're going to find yourself like Elijah in a, in a bad place. What we need to do in that situation is lift up our minds and not allow those thoughts to take control of us, which again, back to number one, is a lot easier when you got someone to help you see it. Because Jesus met many people that we read about in the New Testament Gospels, many horrible people, sinful people, and he never once made them feel guilty. He never once made them feel bad about themselves. He always did the exact opposite. That's why St. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 and 18. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You have a choice. No matter what the circumstance, you have a choice. You have a choice to give thanks or to complain. You have a choice to see the good or the bad. You have a choice to see what God has done or what God hasn't done. And the choice is always yours. And no matter what the circumstance, no matter how bad it may be out there, you always have a choice to focus on the good and to see the good because I promise you there is plenty of good that God has done in your life and there's plenty of good that God is doing in the world today. So don't you ever let anyone tell you otherwise. It is so easy to focus on the negative because that's what gets attention. And that's what, what lures us is the negative and the negative and the negative. But there's so much good out there and it is your choice it is your choice to focus on either one of those two. Elijah chose the negative and he focused on how could God let this woman threaten me? He did not focus on God just deliver me from 850 men. He didn't focus on God at my word stops the heavens from raining and brings it back again. He didn't focus on that. What he focused on what God hadn't done and that's why God him into big trouble could be the same for you as well. <clears throat> Third factor that led to Elijah 
in his weakness right here. And I think this one's underrated. Okay, you're going to be tempted when I say this, say, ah, this is not a big deal, but stick with me right here. Elijah was tired and hungry. Elijah was tired and hungry. Look, Elijah had just fought 850 men. Elijah just spent three and a half years running for his life, doing everything God asked him to do. I think he deserves a little R&R, don't you? Did you know that sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is take a nap and have a good meal? Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap and have a nice meal. And if you don't believe me, look what God says to Elijah when Elijah's complaining and my life is horrible and Elijah's in this horrible state. Look in verse five, what it says. It says, then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals. Okay, he had a sweet tooth. Okay, so God gave him a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. God didn't yell at him. God didn't make him feel guilty. God didn't say, snap out of it, man. You know what God did? God knew that he was human and that he was weak, that he was tired, and that he was hungry. And sometimes that's the solution isn't as big as you think it is. Sometimes it is simply a snack and a nap that can make a world of difference in your life. Did you know, or let me ask you this question, okay? What time of day, what time of day do most fights happen in a marriage? Do you know? What time of day do most, actually not in a marriage, in a household, do most fights happen? Number one, before dinner, and number two, before bed. That's when the majority of fights, and think about it yourself. The majority of the fights happen before dinner, when we're hungry, before bed, when we are tired. Ladies, some advice. Maybe before dinner, maybe before dinner isn't the best time to discuss relationship matters with your husband. I'm not saying it's not important to discuss, but I'm saying does it need to be before dinner? I promise you, it's going to go better after dinner. It's going to go better after dinner, tired and hungry. Gentlemen, husbands, maybe before bed, after a long, tiring day, a difficult day, Maybe before bed isn't the time to ask your wife if she thinks that she's put on a little bit of extra weight. That's not the time. It's not the time to discuss whether we should do a gym membership. Or, that's not the time. It's not saying it's not an important subject. It's a very important subject. But that's not the time. Because we're human beings. We're flesh and we're blood. We get hungry, which makes us grumpy. We get tired, which makes us more grumpy. And if we're hungry and tired at the same time, watch out. That's why I say it this way. Don't underestimate your physical needs when going through a spiritual problem. Don't underestimate your physical needs when going through a spiritual problem. Maybe the most spiritual thing that you can do sometimes is simply say, hey, you know what? I need to take a nap. I need to take care of myself. I need to change the way I eat. I need to exercise. I need to cut back on some of the hours. I need to take care of my physical needs 
Because I promise you, your physical needs, if you're tired, if you're sick, if you're in pain, all those things will impact your spiritual health even if you don't realize it. And that's exactly what God did with Elijah right here. He didn't give him a sermon or a Bible verse or a lightning bolt or he didn't yell at him. He gave him a meal. He told him to sit down and rest. And then when he woke up, he gave him another meal. And I'm sure when Elijah ate that meal, started to settle in here. And Elijah was probably thinking, you know what? This reminds me of Cherith. Oh yeah, remember Cherith where God would feed him with a raven? How good, how sweet. And then he was rested and he remembered how beautiful it was to rest with God versus all the chaos with the thing. And all of a sudden, Elijah started to find himself in a better state. And God, once he, saw, once he fed him and gave him the rest, okay, then God asked him a question. Now God begins to speak to him. Verse 9. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord, after he fed him and gave him the nap, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Okay, so again, now God starts to speak and he's going to kind of correct Elijah's thinking, but he doesn't come at him hard. He's still gentle. He's still soft with him. And he tells him, Elijah, what are you doing here? Just curious. What brought you here today? Because, you know, we were like, you know, in Cherith and then I told you to go there and then we did this. So I didn't see this as part of the plan. What are you doing here? And of course, God knows the answer to the question. It's kind of like when God asked Adam, when Adam was hiding from him after sin, where are you, Adam? God knew but God wanted Adam to know where he was. The so same thing here with Elijah. God wants Elijah to see where he is and what he's doing right here. And Elijah answers in verse 10. So he said, I have been very zealous. Here comes the pity party. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts and for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left and they seek to take my life. I alone am left. Boo hoo, woe is me. Pity party on me. I'm doing everything right. Everyone else is messing up. And even God, you're not doing such a great job either because I kind of did my part. And I don't know what you're doing with your part. Woe is me. I alone am left. Elijah's problem right here that God wanted him to see, which is very evident, is our fourth factor, which led to Elijah's fall. And that is this. He looked away from God and onto his circumstance. He looked away from God and onto his circumstance. Elijah wasn't thinking. He wasn't thinking straight, at least. Elijah was believing the lie. The I alone am left. Actually, later on, we're not going to read it right now, but if you read the rest of the chapter, God tells him, who told you that you're alone? And God points out that there's actually 7,000 other people in the country who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. And you are not alone. Who told you that you're alone? Why are you believing these lies? And even if you are alone, what happened to the Lord God before whom I stand? What happened to the man who brought fire and stood before 850 people? And what happened to he who kneels before God can stand before anyone? What happened to all that? You see, we talked about this a little bit last week. Elijah, when you focused on God, you didn't see the 850 people. But then all of a sudden when you focus on yourself, oh no, the smallest obstacle, the smallest obstacle becomes huge. Elijah, eyes on God, 850 people, no problem. Elijah, eyes on self, one message from one woman and destroyed his life, made him run for his life like a coward. I kind of think, you know the story in the New Testament where Peter walked on water, okay? And, and, and Jesus was walking on the water and Peter was in the boat and all the disciples. And Peter's like, oh, I'd like to do that. That looks fun. You know, let me join you. Jesus says, okay, come on out. 
And Peter, eyes on Jesus, and he's walking on water. And then what happens? Peter gets scared, and he looks down at the water. I should say, he looks down at the water, and then he gets scared, and he starts to sink. Notice, eyes on Jesus, walk on water. Eyes on self, sink and drown. There's no in-between. There's nothing in between. There's not like, okay, if I look half at this and half at this, then I can kind of, you know, maybe like a back float or something like that. It's eyes on Jesus, walk on water, miracle, power, strength, bold, fire from heaven. Nothing can stop me. Eyes on self or on obstacle or on troubles, sink and drown. Run for your life from Jezebel. Those are the only two options. For you, do you see him or do you see your problem? Which one is your focus? Which one is the one that consumes you? Him or your circumstance? Verse 11 and 12. God wants to get fix Elijah's problems. Look what he does. He says, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after an earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. God responds to Elijah by not solving his problem, but by solving his sight. By getting him to get his eyes. The problem is still there. He didn't say, I'm going to kill Jezebel. He didn't say, I'm going to get rid of Ahab. He didn't say I'm going to do any of that stuff. What he said is, look at me. Remember me? Hello, you see me? And he fixed his sight. And he's so sweet. Look how sweet God is. He didn't, again, he didn't yell at him. He didn't scold him. He says, Elijah, you can't see me. So I'm going to come show myself to you. And he taught Elijah a lesson here. Okay, he wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the big things. He told Elijah, just because you don't see big stuff happening in your life doesn't mean I'm not there. I'm teaching you to look beyond the surface, teaching you to look beyond the miracles, teaching you to look. Same lesson I taught you in the beginning in that still, small, quiet, secret place, teaching you to look in the hidden life, teaching you to find me there because that ultimately is the source of your power. The moral of the story with Elijah here, Elijah, man with a nature like ours, his problem right here was he just hadn't seen God. He needed to see God again. He needed to get his eyes fixed. That's exactly what God did to him. And after that, he was good to go. And I kind of think that's a great lesson to wrap up on. The world, believe me, the world isn't made up of strong people and weak people. That's how we think it is. Above average and average people. Good people and bad people. It isn't. The world is made up of people who look at God and people who look at themselves. And the people who look at God, yes, you will see them as stronger. You will see them as more powerful. They will do things that others cannot do because God loves to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. That was our theme verse from 2 Chronicles 16.9. God loves to show himself strong on behalf of those people. But those who choose to focus on themselves or focus on their circumstance, or focus on their problems, are not worse, are not any weaker, but they will live weaker lives. <clears throat> and my question to you, as we wrap up this series is, which one are you? Which do you focus more on? Which do you talk more about? Do you talk more? What comes out of your mouth? Okay, forget about, I believe in my heart. Forget about, I believe in my heart. Show me your mouth and tell me what is more on your lips. 
the circumstances, the problems, the deficiencies, the weakness, or the greatness of the one who sits above all these things. Ultimately, that is what's going to determine how you live your life, whether your eyes are focused up or focused down. Or said another way, focus on the world and you'll be distressed. Focus on yourself and you'll be depressed. Focus on God and you will be at rest. Elijah was a man with a nature like us. When he looked at God, he was invincible, fire from heaven. When he looked at himself, found himself weakness, despair, ran for his life. We're in rough times these days. <laughs> World is in this position where there's a lot. If you wanted to find bad stuff, you wouldn't have to look very far to find things to get discouraged about. The one who's going to make it through this time is the one who learns to focus up. Who learns to lift his eyes and not focus on the world or on himself, but to focus on God. That's the one who's going to find rest. Are your eyes on the news? Your eyes on social media? Your eyes on the problems in the world? Good luck to you. Wish you all the best. I pray for you. You're going to live a tough life. But the one who looks up, the one who looks up, lifts his eyes, focus on God, that's the one that there's no limit to what God will do in them and through them. Again, not because we are strong, but because he is strong. And when we look up and we focus on him, we find his strength in our life. Let's bow our heads for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message of Elijah, and you showed us that he's not a superman. He's a man with a nature like ours, and all of us can learn from him. Help us, Lord, to resist the temptation to, to pity and isolation and to focus on, on our problems and our circumstances. Help us, Lord, to lift our eyes and to live like Elijah lived when he was strong, eyes up, focused on you, the author and finisher of our faith and the creator and the, and the maker of all things seen and unseen. Give us, Lord, those eyes that see you above all else. And we know, Lord, we know that when we do that, that'll make all the difference in the world. Accept our prayer in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints, as we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this series on Elijah as much as I did. Okay, I'm going to leave some questions up here on the screen for you to take a look at and hopefully get a chance to discuss with whoever you're spending the day with. See you next week.